This episode may contain themes that are unsettling for some listeners and includes dialogue that is inappropriate for children under 14. Listener discretion is strongly advised. I'm Brooke and I'm Alyssa and this is for God's sake don't drink the Jones juice welcome back to episode 37 hi so now we do the (laughs) that's our usual intro it really is though (laughs) um thank you guys for being patient with us as um it is a day late again a day late yes again because life is very difficult (laughs) <laughs> so um we're oh god we really every week we're like we're gonna get back on schedule and then we don't we're trying guys we're trying so hopefully hopefully god no, i mean jesus this sunday we'll record and it'll be out on a monday mm-hmm. so just bear with us mm-hmm. and you guys are just so good because you don't ever say anything i know <laughs> like i have a few people who will message me and be like do I get Jones juice in the morning? And I'm like, no. <laughs> or where's episode blah, blah, blah? Yeah. So um, I got some cool news today. Okay. Um, My mom called me and she told me she was listening to episode 11. Oh. <laughs> so. Does that mean she's gotten to episode 11? She's been listening to them out of order, I think. Okay. But she is listening to them. So nice. I am. Which one was 11? The, um, the one with the. Uh, you know the mural at the hospital? Okay, okay. It was that, whatever one that one was. Okay. Which one was that? I don't know. I'll look back. I'll let you speak for a minute and I'll look back. Oh, God, I don't know what to say. Uh, my dad listens regularly every single week, but my mom is like, y'all cuss too much and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so I'm surprised that she's listening. Hey, Tracy and Jenny. Thank you, guys. Uh, it was Jody Arias in the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, okay. So this was... Okay, for whatever reason, I was thinking that was part of, like, the story, but I remember now that somebody was telling you about that. Yes, yeah, it was the uh, guy that was fixing my AC or something. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Oh, cool. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to my dad, just for a minute here, because over the weekend, my dad helped me do a few things that I could have not done without him. And he worked tirelessly for, God, hours and hours on this project. But um, Scotty and Titus broke my bed (laughs) by wrestling wrestling on it. (laughs) And so um, we have a platform bed, so a bunch of the the slats broke on it. So our mattress has been on the floor in our bed for like months now. And so um, my dad and I went to Home Depot and I bought a bunch of like lumber (laughs) and my dad built me an entire bed pretty much. Oh, cool. Not an entire bed, just the platform. The frame. Yeah. And so it's super sturdy now. Don't buy beds off Wayfair, guys. Just saying. (laughs) And uh, then my dad replaced a light in my house with a ceiling fan. And that was probably... (laughs) Dude, I'm telling you, we ran into problem after problem with that ceiling fan. Oh no! The um, like the electrical box thingy that goes up into the ceiling mm-hmm. was too small for the fan, so we had to buy another one, and it didn't fit up there because of a board. So my dad had to kind of like, you know, Rig make it up. the yeah exactly, and then it just took him forever to get it up there. So I just dad thank you i love you thank you for your help he's an awesome dad what are you doing over there i'm playing with a uh stamp i'm sure they can all hear that i hope i hope not (laughs) i think they can whoops sorry guys i literally put our stamp all the way around this piece of paper (laughs) i love it beautiful beautiful. frame (laughs) oh my Um, god do you have anything that you want to say i don't think so um haven't really had a whole lot of excitement going on so nah 
think I'm good. Same. It's been pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we can just go ahead and get into it. Let's do it to it. Okay. So, um, I'm doing another I survived case. Typical Alyssa. In typical Alyssa fashion, I'm doing a not murder case. <laughs> okay. Um, so this was in season five. I don't really remember what episode, but um, the man is named Philip Snyder, and he was and still is a missionary. Okay. He started a nonprofit organization that gives resources from the U.S. to Haitian pastors so that they can de- develop their own programs. Okay. So while in Haiti, Philip had to drive to Port, oh sorry, to Port-au-Prince to get a visa for a five-year-old boy named Shelton, who had an eye injury that needed like immediate surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could only do this in America. So that's why they were getting the visa. Um, And Shelton's father was with them when they went there. So once arriving uh, to the outskirts of Port-au-Prince, there was a UN checkpoint um, and they had to like stop at it. And um, the reason why the UN soldiers were there was um, they were trying to keep the peace um, in Haiti due to warring political factions. Okay. So <clears throat> they stopped at the checkpoint and Philip showed them his license and they were let through. They drove several miles until they reached a shanty town. So this shanty town is like the slums. Mm-hmm. It is like you don't want to be there. The ghetto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... um. <laughs> not a good area to be in but they're just driving through so um so he was driving at about 45 to 50 miles per hour and the roads were all clear um when all of a sudden he sees movement on like either side of his car and um right as he saw that movement he noticed a little boy out in the middle of the road who when he looked threw a fucking rock oh, no. at his windshield and so he ducks and right as he ducks it crashed through no worse the two movements that he was seeing on either side of his car were cars with gunmen in them oh my god so they start shooting at his car wow yeah um and these were gunmen from a local Haitian gang mm-hmm. um one of the men had a 12 gauge shotgun and it bl- and blasted it through the driver's side window. What year is this? You know, I don't even know. <laughs> it never once said it. And, okay. And I didn't read any articles about it. Okay. You got this off a documentary? So what you yeah, said? I watched an episode of I Survive. Okay. Haiti so, is dangerous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the other car on the other side had a few different types of guns um, and they were all just shooting and bullets were flying everywhere and oh my god going through the windshield and that is horrifying yeah um and he's being shot at like he's physically being shot Mm -hmm. so he's got bullets all in him Mm -hmm. it's a miracle he didn't die in the car wow so all he could think to do was to stop the truck get out with his hands raised and Mm -mm. (laughs) maybe he'd have a chance to survive well he thought like maybe if he like got out and kind of like gave them his possessions they would leave him alone yeah so once he exited the truck he was immediately mobbed by 20 to 25 people what and he said that these people were like they all of them had their hands all over him like going through his pockets looking like you know up his shirt and down his pants and like just trying to get anything that they could get and so then they started um like going to the pocket that has the wallet in it and there he said there there people were fighting over mm-hmm. that wallet mm-hmm. and so he kind of grabbed the wallet and like held it up and he said as soon as he held that wallet up the wallet was gone and all the men just disappeared wow. they were just gone so that's what they were after yeah i would have just threw it at him when i got out of the car <laughs> yeah me too um and one of the the men who were who was you know trying to 
get his wallet and whatnot ripped his shirt off yeah so crazy i cannot i mean think of how much chaotic energy oh <laughs> being in that you're moment. bleeding everywhere yeah. shot so um uh, uh where am i at so while he was being mobbed there were people in the little shanty town just, just ignoring it like minding their business yeah 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 um he said that um he remembered seeing like a a shoe shine boy just doing his thing mm-hmm. and a they're woman, used to it yeah it doesn't it, phase him it's like this is just everyday fucking life over Ugh. there um he remembered a woman walking with a basket of charcoal on her head and somebody even walked by with the donkey while all the, i mean 20 to 25 just people walking by Dude, if we saw that, we would be uh, on the phone with nine one one and like getting as far away as possible. Exactly. During the mobbing, Shelton, you know, you remember the five year old little boy, mm-hmm. and his father had also disappeared. Ooh. So um, Philip was now all alone. Mm-hmm. Um, he inspected his body and said that his arm was basically hamburger. Oh. Yeah. Wow. He had bullet holes in his chest. He said that blood was pouring off all five of his fingers, and he had two holes in his chest where a buckshot had hit him. Wow. Blood poured all the way down his chest and, like, down his stomach. Yeah. So, obviously, he's going to bleed to death if he doesn't do something about it. Mm -hmm. So, he, you know, just kind of, I mean, he didn't know what to do. He's in an unfamiliar place. Yeah. And... I mean, obviously, nobody's going to help you. Right. So this is when a group of young men ranging from like 16 to 22 years old poked their head around the corner and they said, what you going to (laughs) do? And Philip replied, saying, I need help. Yeah. So the young men took Philip to a house deep in the slums to treat his wounds. Well, that was nice. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Three Haitian Red Cross workers walked in, two women and a man dressed in the Red Cross uniforms. Um, They went straight to work treating his wounds. Um, And apparently they were, like, not allowed to talk to him or anything. Like, I don't really know why Mm -hmm. he didn't really say. Like, he couldn't explain what happened or anything? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. they, or I guess they just had to pretend like they didn't hear it if he did say something. I don't know why. Hmm. But that's just what he said. So, um, so right as the, um, the Red Cross workers, um, got done, uh, treating his wounds and they were leaving, someone brought Shelton to Philip, but we don't know where Shelton's father is still. The people who had brought Philip to the house to be treated, um, suggested that they take a quote unquote walk. Mm. Philip said that for the most part, they were ignoring him or making fun of what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I guess if this is something that you see all the time, yeah. it's not as morbid and traumatic. Mm-hmm. So you can joke about it. Ugh. I don't know. Um, they didn't really, you know, they didn't care that he was like dying. Right. <laughs> so Philip and Shelton were delivered to a rough-looking group of men who were wielding AKs, machetes, my god, and 9 millimeters. The group of men had delivered them to a gang and they were taken hostage. Oh. So, oh. imagine this. You're driving trying to be a good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And then a gang basically ambushes you and, you know, turns your arm into hamburger meat and you are just bleeding from multiple orifices in your body mm-hmm. and then they rob you and then they leave and then you get taken to you know some red cross workers and you're all patched up and you're like i'm in the clear yeah and, and then, then you get delivered to a gang <laughs> like can you imagine god poor guy so philip says when you're that close to death there's nothing you want more than to look into somebody's eyes and connect Mm-hmm. That is so sad. That, that, I understand that. Yeah. 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 The gang took Philip and Shelton to a little house that was roughly 15 by 15. As soon as they entered the house, they started talking to him. 
the main man asked him questions about who he was um, and and then he gave Philip a telephone and said call somebody we're going to hold you for ransom and we're going to ask for $300,000 for your release so oh call somebody God, yeah because you know <laughs> I'm sure just somebody has that kind of money so Philip called his son Chad who worked for his nonprofit in Haiti and he said man you're not gonna believe this <laughs> oh my god can you imagine so uh where was i at okay man you're not you gotta do something you're the man on the outside that's what he said chad called the u.s embassy to assemble a negotiating team it was um comprised of haitian police and a private negotiator Philip said when my final host informed me that that he was going to ask for three hundred thousand dollars for my release i really just sort of laughed at him to begin with i tried to explain to him look man how are you going to get three hundred thousand dollars for a missionary then i went on to tell him i don't have money in the bank i'm not a tourist i'm not a businessman i'm not down here for the sex trades i'm not down here fishing i'm a missionary everything i do is about giving what i have or what i can get together giving it to your people <laughs> and authorities were convinced that the gang would kill philip after receiving the ransom but chad was confident that his father would survive mm-hmm Chad and the team of police and negotiators got together to make negotiations with the gang, all the while Philip and Shelton are being held hostage. By 5 p.m., the negotiations had stalled, so the gang starts to torment them. Uh. And I don't, they never, he never really talked about physical abuse. Mm-hmm. It mostly just kind of seemed like verbal. Yeah. Um, Philip said that the main guy keeping him hostage was the type of guy who could and would kill you just like that. Mm -hmm. But his partner was the guy who would really heckle Philip. He would say over and over, I'm going to kill you and chop your head off. Jesus. He would also say, by morning, you're going to be dead. I don't care what this guy does. I'm going to kill you. Hmm. But, dude, I, okay. Philip's a great man because let me tell you what he said in reply to this. Okay. So Philip looked him in the eye and he said, I would be afraid of that, but I'm a missionary and I believe with all of my heart that the only reason I'm here, you didn't bring me here. The only reason I'm really here is that God has me here and he has me here for a reason. You can threaten to kill me. In fact, you can kill me, but I choose to love you. Whatever happens, I choose to love you. And if you kill me, I will forgive you. Wow. Not me, dude. I would be like, um, I'm going to chop your fucking head off. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Like, what? A, like, you have to have a great heart. Yeah. And you have to have balls to say that. Like, I think, honestly. You have honestly, to have a whole lot of God in your heart. I think I would just be quiet and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. The negotiations lasted through the day and Philip was able to talk to Chad about four times like during that time frame every time philip would talk to him and then hang up the phone the main guy would tell philip that they weren't offering enough money and that he was never going to get out of there Mm -hmm. so at this point philip is getting more worried and asking chad what the issue is on his end of things and chad kept telling his dad you just have to trust me um and chad kind of said this like four times during their conversation and this is when like an internal light of like realization flipped on inside of philip Mm -hmm. and he told chad that he would trust him so do you remember how much they were demanding three hundred thousand okay so listen to this so eventually a ransom of $3,000 $3,000 was made. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but by that time, it was too late for the exchange to be made that day. This meant, unfortunately, that Philip would have to stay the night in the house he was being kept hostage in. Not only was it scary because he was, you know, being held captive by a gang, mm-hmm. but the area was, like I've said before, a really bad area. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So around 11 or 12 that night, basically all hell broke loose outside of that house. Um, It was like the entire slum just came out at night and exploded with gunfire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Philip said that every caliber gun you could think of was blasting outside with thousands upon thousands of rounds of ammunition. How horrifying. Dude, it's insane. It's like a nightmare. Dude, and he probably has like PTSD from being shot in his car and now he's having to hear this outside. Mm. So then it was a whole different world over there. And and you know what I'm also thinking like how I was looking at pictures like they have pictures on the episode I guess of kind of like the area and it looks really very poor mm-hmm. and i'm just thinking how the fuck do they all have guns like this if they're <laughs> who if, knows i don't know but i don't even know if that is that insensitive to say like how would they have guns if they're so poor i don't think it's insensitive i mean <laughs> well i mean guns aren't cheap <laughs> okay <laughs> so um so then after you know he heard all that it would go quiet for a minute until gunfire was heard coming from the un camp that was a quarter mile away um and this process repeated about six or seven times where the slum would shoot for forever then would go quiet and then the un would um shoot for forever and then it'd go quiet and then the slum would shoot and it's just it just kept going six or seven times my god by late morning the next day, the kidnappers brought a community leader into the shack. The leader came up to Philip and started talking to him in nearly perfect English. The conversation was very casual if they had just met at a grocery store. He told Philip that he was part of an institution in Haiti that was a nonprofit organization. So Philip started talking to him about his family and his life, and the man said, Philip, will you drink with me? And Philip said he would. So the man uncorked a bottle of rum and took a big swig of it and then handed it to Philip, who also took a big swig of it. And then he handed it back to the man. The man took it from Philip and said, you're free. We've got you free. What? The man made the kidnappers unlock the door and they stepped out into the open air. And Philip said, well, let's go. What? Yeah. What? Philip and Shelton were released and they flew to America for the boy's eye surgery. Like, this man still took this boy to get his eye surgery after being shot up repeatedly and tortured. And yeah. Wow. Um, And then Chad also returned to America with his father. Even though Philip still suffers from his injuries, he continues to work his charity in Haiti to this day. Wow. Yeah. And Philip says, the bottom line is the people. They're fantastic people. They're just full of love, full of energy, full of joy, and they're amazing even in poverty. Mm-hmm. People come through with, with just such pure joy and such a love for living. I believe that I survived because God's hand is on my life and it would bring him more glory for me to survive than it would have brought for me to die. Hmm. And that is the story of Philip Snyder, who survived. Wow. I need to see this guy. Crazy. He And, you know, when he spoke, you could tell that, like, I don't know. It's like what happened to him was a matter of fact. Yeah. He wasn't like, Angry why me? Why it. me? You know, what was me? Pit- pitiful me. It was mm. just kind of like this happened to me and that's cool. What a strong guy. I know. Wow. Yeah, that was um, and I I was just watching that like. I really don't think that if somebody were to shoot me up like that, that I could tell them that I would still love them, mm-hmm. and that I would forgive them. Mm-hmm. I really feel mm-hmm. like I would hate them for the rest of my life, even if I made it out out of there alive unscathed. <sighs> yeah, that's a that's a strong-hearted person right there. So anyways, that was my portion of this episode. I guess we'll take a quick little breather and then we'll be back. All right.
Hey y'all, welcome back to part two of episode 37. Welcome, welcome. Today I will be covering the case of Christine Paolilla and the Clear Lake murders. Let's get on into it. Okie dokie. Christine Paolilla was born on March 31st, 1986, and she was the youngest of two children born to Lori and Charles. She was born in Long Island, New York. Lori was a stay-at-home mom, and Charles was a construction worker. Really quick, I'd like to list, uh, just kind of mention that this has been a case that has stuck in my mind for a very long time. I watched a documentary on it many, many years ago. Can't remember, you know, who did the documentary, but it's just super interesting to me, and it's been on my list for a while, and I'm excited to finally cover it. I don't think I've ever heard of this one. You may when I start getting into it. Um, it's a pretty well-known case, I'd say. Is it? I just I don't recognize. I never really recognize names, though. I usually mm-hmm. start to recognize it when you get into the details. I think what sticks with me about this case so much is that the girl, the main subject in this case, and the others um, are like around my age. Oh, so this is like my high school years, you know. Right. So. Uh, Anyway, when Christine was just two years old, sadly, her father was killed in a construction accident when bricks fell on top of him from a high rise. Oh, my gosh. And that left Mother Lori to care for Christine and her older brother, John, all alone. Grief stricken from the loss of her husband, Lori started using hard drugs, and she eventually lost custody of her children to her parents. Oh, no. Mm Mm-hmm. When Christine was in kindergarten, she was diagnosed with alopecia. Oh, no. I think I actually do know this one. Yeah. So it's an autoimmune disorder that caused her to lose her head hair, eyebrows, and her eyelashes. Christine started wearing wigs daily to hide her hair loss and would draw her eyebrows on. She also had terrible vision and she wore thick eyeglasses. Christine was viciously bullied about her appearance in school, which greatly affected her self-esteem. I'm sure it did. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Other students would taunt her, and they would even pull her wig off her head in class. Like, why, though? I hate bullies. Like, why do that? Just leave Disgusting. her alone. God. Mm-hmm. She was extremely shy and withdrawn, and she really didn't have any friends. And she did poorly in school, um, probably just from trauma. Imagine not wanting to be someone's friend because they're losing their hair. That's so sad. Kids suck. (laughs) God, I really... Raise your kids a better day. (laughs) Christine's mother finally cleaned up, and the children went back to live with her and her new husband. That's good. Mm -hmm. The family moved to Clear Lake City... Guess where? Hmm. Texas. Oh, my God. That's right. Texas. Isn't it so strange? And and I did not mean to do that, but it just ended up being Texas again. I think you do. I think every night you search <laughs> Texas murders. murders. In Texas. <laughs> All my cases seem to, or a lot of them seem to uh, come from Texas, you guys. Anyway. What's so great about dumb old Texas anyways? It, I don't know. So uh, they moved to Clear Lake, Texas, which was an upper-class suburb of Houston. Christine started at Clear Lake High School her freshman year. Her mother, of course, was worried that high school might be difficult for her, especially being that the school was full of, like, rich kids, for lack of a better term. Yeah, Yeah, you'd be worried, right? Those are the worst kids. (laughs) I mean, but... um... (laughs) I will say, at school, she was quickly befriended by two well-meaning, popular girls, one grade ahead of her. Their names were Rachel Colarutas and Tiffany Rowell. Rachel was beautiful. People said that she could be a model. Not only was she beautiful on the outside, but her insides matched. That's good yeah she was just a beautiful person i love people like that i've met a few of those in my life and i'm like you're just an angel like how are you so pretty on the outside and the inside like it's amazing you have you ever met those people that are i mean even if they're not pretty on the outside but they're so pretty on the inside that it's like yeah it makes you real yeah like are you even a real person exactly (laughs) rachel had long um auburn hair and a big bright smile and she always looked out for the underdog 
Uh, she was a talented artist. She drew and painted, and she was into creative writing. She served as a youth counselor at various summer camps, and she taught vacation Bible school. Ooh. Mm-hmm. She planned on attending college or even possibly going into the Air Force, and she was in ROTC in school. Wow, she did a lot. Mm-hmm. Tiffany was also beautiful, and she had a bubbly personality. She had dark, curly hair, beautiful skin, and a great smile. Now, she was a talented actress, and she wanted to become a social worker. So they were just really, really good (laughs) girls, and they were popular girls, but they weren't the type of girls that, you know, bullied. They, They just, they had great hearts, and they wanted to help, and they used their popularity for good. That's the way it should be. Exactly. If you're popular and you're just like... A bitch. Then you... (laughs) I don't understand how people become popular when they are just such shitty people. Mm -hmm. It's rare, though, that you you meet popular girls that are just such angels. I will tell you, this something I learned about one of uh, the people that work for me, Ashley, the one that I went skydiving with. Mm -hmm. I was stalking her Facebook one night. Now, she is like one of the sweetest people like she's just such a nice girl and she's beautiful Mm -hmm. and i was stalking her facebook and this is something she would never tell us because she's just that humble but she was homecoming queen oh wow and i saw pictures and i was like oh my god ashley i was like you're so beautiful on the inside and outside like that's amazing like it made me so happy to see that because she is just so good right you know and one of those people, she would never, you know, say, oh, I was homecoming queen. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we're talking, this was just like a year ago. You know, she's a youngin. Anyway, she's one of those. It's like, how? <laughs> so anyway, um, the trio became inseparable. Christine confided with the girls about her years of the painful bullying. And then the two decided to give Christine a makeover to improve her appearance and to help her fit in with the other students. Aw, Yeah, they helped her find better wigs that fit her better and taught her to properly apply makeup. Finally, for once, she was pretty. Her mother is quoted as saying Christine was the happiest she had ever seen her. Her mom said Christine constantly talked about the two girls, commenting that they were the sweetest girls that she had ever met. Hey, I'm listening. I'm just going to grab my bag. Yeah, go ahead. Rachel even carried a picture of her bestie, Christine, in her purse at all times. On the back, Christine wrote, Damn, we've had some crazy memories. I love you. The three girls were so close that Christine even let Tiffany and Rachel see her without her wig on. So life was changing and things were looking up for Christine. And by 2003, she was popular and well-loved at school. A huge change from the bullied weird girl that she had been considered since she was a child. She was even voted Miss Irresistible by her classmates. Wow. That's huge, right? Dude, I bet that made her feel so good. Oh my gosh, yeah. Rachel and Tiffany graduated in 2003, but Christine was okay with that because of her newfound confidence. Yeah. This confidence and her new look was drawing attention from the boys. That same year, she started dating 21-year-old Christopher Lee Snyder, who was four years older than her. Christine's mother and stepfather didn't approve of Chris, nor did her best friends Rachel and Tiffany, because of his known drug use and extensive criminal record. Oh, God. Chris Snyder scared Christine's mother, who later told ABC that there was, and I quote, something in his eyes and that Christine just felt she was going to be able to fix him no matter what he did. You can't fix people. We've said this a million times. You can't do it. Nope. Don't try. Mm -hmm. Christine began experimenting with drugs with Chris and she eventually became an addict. The two fought often verbally and physically. Christine's mother said that Chris emotionally abused Christine, even showing up at her school one day and pulling off her wig to embarrass her in front of her classmates. Oh, my God. Isn't that sickening? How did he how was he even allowed? I don't know. How did he get into school? (laughs) I guess it was a lot different like those. You know, it was, you know, early 2000s. When you were in high school, did they have smoking sections? No, but I think that was like cut out like a few years before I went into high school. Because I know when my dad went to Heritage, there were smoking sections. It's crazy, isn't it? 
Well, when yeah. I was in high school, you still smoked in restaurants. Like there was a smoking and a non-smoking. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, we still had that too. Yeah. I remember my parents always asking for a non-smoking. non-smoking. Yeah. It's so crazy. I know. When I think back on that, I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that really did happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now like there are some bars you can't even smoke in. Yeah, I know. Um, so... Christine began acting out and she isolated herself from her friends and family. But some people say that it was Chris who was actually isolating her. But anyway, their relationship was described as both abusive and dysfunctional on both ends. Chris Snyder's family said that the relationship was tumultuous and that Christine was extremely jealous. If the couple was in public and another woman even looked Chris's way, Christine would lick his face to claim him. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine like just glancing at a guy and his girlfriend just licks him across the face? I would be like, you can have. Yeah, dude. No. Okay. We're good. <laughs> I'm just going to pee on you and mark my territory. I mean. Territory. Territory. <laughs> territory. <laughs> Like, what a freako. That's so weird. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, people don't look at your boyfriend because they want them. Sometimes yeah, they're just in glancing. their life sight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get over yourself. Ugh, excuse me. Bless you. <laughs> Thanks. After a fight with Chris, Christine spent the night on the front lawn of his family's home, screaming all night long, and threatened to kill the entire family. Dude, that's what you do. Yep. And she would go around and she would bang on windows and try to lift windows and try to get indoors. The family called the police on her numerous times. Oh, my God. They would just kind of let her go, though. When did she become such a psycho? Mm, She'd been a psycho. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the drugs didn't help, you know. Oh, I'm sure. So in the Snyder household, Christine was known as the psycho. His sister, Brandy, called her a cancer to the family. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to ever, Mm -hmm. ever describe me as that. Right. Chris had told his family more than once that only two things scared him, the cops and Christine. Christine started getting into just as much trouble as Chris Snyder. In December of 2003, Chris Snyder pleaded guilty to a drug offense and was sentenced to 20 days in jail. In October of 2003, Christine and Chris were both charged with theft. Christine served six months of probation while Chris entered a guilty plea and was sentenced to 10 years in jail. In July of 2004, Christine was charged with burglary of a vehicle. She was fined $4,000, but $3,700 of that fine was deferred. She was sentenced to one year probation, which ended in July of 2005. These two were a toxic match. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Ew, imagine being a good girl and then dating a guy and then you start robbing cars. Robbing cars and doing meth. And, yeah. Yeah. Was it meth? I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what she was on at that point. Good grief. Um, on the afternoon of July 18th, 2003, Christine Paolilla and Christopher Snyder decided that they would pay a visit to Christine's best friends, Rachel and Tiffany, and rob them. I hate, I, I do know the story and yeah. I fucking hate it. Is it is horrible. It is so, so, so terrible. Mm-hmm. The two girls were now 18 and they had graduated a couple months prior and they were both working at a local strip club as waitresses and they were pulling in big cash tips. Oh, you dude, know? do you ever watch TikToks of like strippers showing you how much money Mm-mm. they make in a night? No. Dude, it's this one girl was like, this is how much you can get at on a 12 hour shift at wherever she works and she literally like put it through like a money counter and it was like almost two grand and I was like one night give me a tummy tuck and sign me up (laughs) so they weren't strippers though they were waitresses yeah it's been said that they were both offered jobs as dancers but they declined because they were just too modest you know but two beautiful girls waitresses you know they're gonna be banking that's funny to me well ironic i guess it's like i don't know i'm a pretty modest person too like i like just before i anybody's like oh my god respect sex workers i do it's i it's fine i don't yeah disagree with it but i am a very modest person and myself personally could never be a stripper mm-hmm. but i would also don't think i would waitress there yeah, yeah at a strip club right yeah uh so 
Tiffany had been dating 19-year-old Marcus Ray Priscilla for about three years. Marcus was in college finishing the coursework for an automotive technology certificate. He loved working on cars. He had recently enrolled in fall classes to pursue a business degree while working part-time as a waiter at Landry's Seafood House. Quick side note here, Landry's Seafood House is my favorite restaurant in the entire world. So, Where is one at? Uh, there's one in Myrtle Beach. There's one in whatever that's uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Anytime like we go on vacation, I have to search and see if there's a Landry's. And if there is, we go. I hate seafood. Ugh, I love seafood. But yeah, Landry's is like my favorite ever. So when I saw he worked there, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Marcus, too, had graduated from Clear Lake High. He was a good guy to Tiffany, and they spent a lot of time together. There was a bit of a bad side to him, though. Um, even though he had no criminal record, he was known to deal small amounts of cocaine and ecstasy to his friends. Money and drugs, two of Chris and Christine's favorite things. Right. Yeah. Money and drugs. The day it all went down, the girls were at Tiffany's home at 3706 Millbridge Drive in Clear Lake, city with marcus and his cousin adelbert nicholas sanchez who is adelbert adelbert why do i love that so much do you adelbert adelbert like i would never name my kid that you just love the the ring of it but i want to be friends with someone named adelbert Adelbert. (laughs) well they called him d his family called him d not birdie birdie that's what i would call oh adelbert his family called him d but uh he was 21 years old Adelbert had been a good student. He loved rap music, and he sang with a local group. He planned to go to college and study uh, computer technology. The four had apparently just woken up and were hanging out in the living room watching cartoons. The home belonged to Tiffany's father, but Tiffany mostly stayed there alone. Her mother had died of cancer in 1998, and when her father remarried, and uh, he ended up moving to his new wife's home. So Tiffany stayed at the house so that she wouldn't have to change schools in her senior year. And uh, Rachel had moved in with her a little while later. And as you can imagine, you know, high school seniors graduating, you know, just graduated, 17, 18 years old, this is going to be the hangout spot. There's yeah. no mom and dad, you know, this is where everybody's yeah. going to come to maybe do a little Party. drugs and drink. And you that's know. literally what happened when I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Me and my brother had a place together and mm-hmm. we would throw parties every now and again. But then it just kind of became like the place to go. Yeah. And then I shortly moved out after that because overwhelming yeah it's too much so so much yeah like once it begins you just can't make it stop right exactly like people think they can just come to your house Mm -hmm. whenever Mm -hmm. they fucking want to yep so it kind of became the hangout spot sometime around 3 30 p.m the group heard a knock at the door tiffany got up off the couch and let chris and christine in who were both armed with guns What happened next really remains unclear, but things went south very quickly. Christine Palilla later claimed that Chris and Marcus got into an argument leading to the murders of all four people in the home. It was a bloodbath. Over 40 shots were fired. Wow. Most of these shots were directed at Rachel and Tiffany. Rachel got the worst of it. Rachel was shot in the butt, meaning that she was likely trying to run away from her attacker. She was also shot by Christine in the vagina, which is a sign of sexual envy and jealousy. As Rachel choked on her own blood after being shot 12 times, but still clinging on to life, Christine walked over to her and repeatedly bashed her in the skull with the butt of her pistol. Holy shit. You got to think this, this is the girl that took you under her wing made you everything that you are changed your life was so sweet to you yeah disgusting and then you go and you brutally murder her yeah Yeah. it wasn't enough to shoot her you had to bash her head in right or it wasn't enough to just shoot her you had to shoot her in the vagina yeah which is obvious that's a very obvious sign of of jealousy so uh as she was beating her in the head rachel was asking why and sobbing And uh, she then died from the blow to the head, from the blows to the head. 
she fought. She was the only teen that was found with defense wounds. Wow. She was found with her cell phone just out of her arm's reach with blood on the nine and one buttons <gasps> as if she just missed the last number before being killed. Wow. Oh, that hurts my soul. Police noted distinctive overkill in the female victims, meaning that their killer had intense personal animosity or jealousy towards them. Yeah. Tiffany died from multiple gunshot wounds to her head, face, right shoulder, right thigh, right forearm, and left leg. And she was also shot in the crotch. Wow. She was found sitting on the couch, leg propped up on the coffee table. So it's like she just kind of let them in and went and propped back down, right? Yeah. No threat. You know, these are people we know. And you know what that suggests to me? That the boys did not get into an argument because mm-hmm. you would think that if things they became would, heated, mm-hmm. she wouldn't be in such a relaxed position. Exactly. Like they came in their guns blazing. Exactly. So, of course, to police, this looked like she knew the attackers or didn't at least see them as a threat of any kind. Marcus Brisella died from gunshot wounds to his head. Besides his head, he was also shot in the abdomen, right arm, and had blunt force head injuries. He was found laying on the floor as if he was trying to run away from his attacker. Adelbert Sanchez died from multiple gunshot gunshot wounds to his head, neck, left arm, torso, and left shoulder. He was also found still seated on the couch comfortably. Jeez. Yeah, these people didn't even have a chance. Mm -mm. And like they're sitting there watching cartoons. Mm -hmm. They're not thinking that they're about to die in their own home. And you gotta think this is literally like middle of the day. Yeah. This is like three o'clock in the afternoon. So did neighbors hear? Well, I'm going to kind of talk about that right now, actually. So the teens' bodies were discovered shortly after 6 p.m. on the night of July 18th. A friend, and uh, this is a pseudonym, this is not her correct name, but Mm -hmm. uh, we'll call her Brittany, had been trying to reach Tiffany for the past hour and a half or so. She kept dialing Tiffany's number, but there was no response. And to her, something just fell off because it wasn't like Tiffany to just ignore her. Right. Brittany had spoken to Marcus, Tiffany's boyfriend, just a few hours earlier after Marcus had picked up Tiffany's cell phone. And he said she's in the bathroom. It was close to three o'clock ish then. And Brittany just said, you know, I'll call her back. 30 minutes later, Brittany called her friend again and again and again. So she called her a couple of times and no one picked up. A bit later, Brittany was in the area, so she decided that she would stop by Tiffany's house. Brittany's boyfriend, her nephew, and her boyfriend's cousin went with her. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. So it's a car full of them. A few minutes after 6 o'clock p.m., Brittany pulled into Tiffany's driveway, notice, noticing that Marcus's and Tiffany's cars were there. And she's just kind of thinking, like, why isn't anybody answering the phone? Like, you guys are here. What's going on? So she went to the front door, and she was just, like, banging repeatedly. But nothing but eerie silence. She peeked through the window by the door, and she couldn't see anything. Eventually, her banging on the door, like, forced the door open, which, obviously, the door wasn't locked. I guess maybe it wasn't latched all the way, and it just kind of swung open. Tiffany walks into the house and she enters a hallway that leads to the living room. And this whole time she's yelling, like, Tiffany, you here? Tiffany. She then found found herself staring at a scene that at first didn't seem real. It just did not register with her. I bet not. I cannot imagine walking into that. No, these are your friends. And it's just, I, I can't imagine the blood and the bullets and you know just oh right but you know what good for her because if i had a friend who was like ignoring my phone calls just I'd like, be like, oh they hate me now it's fine <laughs> i'm just kidding i would just assume they were busy yeah yeah even if they were a person who you know like always responds to me well i, I don't know you like, say that because you thought i was dead when i didn't respond to you for a few minutes yeah but i didn't not come few, not, not a few minutes i guess it was hours but yeah but i went to ross and started coming <laughs> to your house oh gosh <sighs> okay. and you you it, it was a little different because like you, you knew i was car. coming over yeah yeah so yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> So as Brittany's boyfriend got out of her vehicle, he sees Brittany running like hell out of the doorway that she had just walked through. Brittany was screaming and had an absolute look of terror on her face. And she's screaming, call the cops, call the cops. 
Um, out of breath, she approaches her boyfriend, who was now looking towards the house. And Brittany yells again, call the cops. Like, she was completely inconsolable, like, just a mess. Yeah. Her boyfriend walks up to the doorway and approaches the inside of the house. He then cam- comes running out of the same doorway, screaming. Brittany was on the front lawn at that point, crying and smashing her fist into the grass. Her boyfriend noticed a neighbor across the street talking on his cell phone, so he ran toward the guy just yelling, call the police, call the police, call the police. And the man ended up calling 911. Good. Police described a bloody scene with two of the young people still sitting on the couch in the living room, feet propped up. Another one in a pool of blood on the floor in front of the TV and a fourth face down behind the couch. In typical teen were all alone and unsupervised and unsupervised the room was littered with beer cans pizza boxes you know yeah the party house the discovery of the crime scene was shocking from multiple gun shoots gun i'm sorry gunshot <laughs> gunshot wounds to rachel's head being smashed in by the butt of a pistol police were left wondering who would ruthlessly kill these four innocent teens in broad daylight and houston police were perplexed and they were horrified the citizens were horrified yeah um an officer said you know this was not a group of kids that would be considered thugs or gangsters by any means this was an area that could be anybody's neighbor's kids Right. God, that's a scary statement. Yeah, it is. And and this was a great neighborhood. This was a good area in the city, you know. There was little evidence left at the scene. Police suspected the killings were a drug deal gone wrong, knowing that Marcus Purcella dealt drugs. The only credible tip they seemed to have tip that they seemed to have was from a couple that lived in the neighborhood who happened to see a white young man and a white young female dressed in all black walking through the neighborhood around the time of the murders. The woman was around 5'7", 115 pounds and had big eyes. She wore a black bandana around her hair. The man was a bit shorter than the woman and thin. The couple was called into the police station and a composite sketch was drawn. The sketches were eventually released and may have actually helped finally solve the case. So life went on in Clear Lake and Chris and Christine stayed together through early 2004. The case went unsolved for three years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Dude, this bitch probably thought she done got away with it. Mm -hmm. There were rumors and speculations, of course, around town, but no one. Absolutely no one even considered that Christine may have been responsible. Are you going to talk about, like, was she acting normal? Or Yeah, I'm yeah, going to okay. talk about it a little bit. So, again, nobody even considered her a suspect. After all, Rachel and Tiffany were her best friends. Christine had been devastated over their killings. She couldn't even go to the funeral because she was so upset. Her mother even commented that she slept in the bed with her and her stepfather for three nights after the murders. Yeah, because she murdered them. Right. (laughs) Also, like the, I think the fact that both of the girls were shot in the crotch is very personal. Yeah, it's a big indicator that this person knew them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when Christine and Chris finally broke up at the beginning of '04, Christine checked into a rehab center for her drug addiction. We later find out that Christine proudly confessed to a fellow male patient about the murders. Proudly confessed? Proudly. Okay. During her stint in rehab, she met Justin Rott, an addict also at the Center for Rehabilitation. The two quickly fell in love and got engaged within weeks of knowing each other. Although it would usually be frowned upon, you would think, for two addicts to be in a romantic relationship... Both of their families were thrilled. Justin and Christine were a great match. Justin doted over Christine and treated her like a queen, which was something she was not used to with men. Ew, wait till he finds out. The two were married in March of 2005, and that same year, Christine came into a $360,000 trust fund that her father had left for her. It's a lot of money. Wow. The two decided to live a sober lifestyle together, and they bought a condo with some of the money. 
They were happily married and they were considering starting a family. All was well in their world until it wasn't. In July of 2006, the Clear Lake murders gain media attention again, and Christine sees the case on a local news station. She calls Justin into the living room just as the composite sketches of the uh, suspects appear on the screen. Oh my, oh my, she says over and over again. And then she asks her husband if the drawing of the woman looked like her. And he says, of course not. It was shortly thereafter that Justin Rott's beloved wife confessed to him that she killed her best friends. Oh, my God. He was in shock. He was in denial. He was thinking, like, do I tell the police or do I protect my wife? Like, is she telling me the truth? Like, Well, why would she just make that up? (laughs) Exactly. So what they decide to do is they go into hiding and they bring along their dog. Ew, imagine wanting to go into hiding with your wife like that is a murderer. murdered people. Yeah, but imagine being him. Can you imagine hearing that out of your wife's mouth? Like, ooh. So they bring their dog and they move into a motel room in San, uh, San Antonio. And they succumb to their, their old habits and they start using hard drugs together daily. Blowing through Christine's trust fund. Oh, goodness. For eight months, the two hardly left the room with Christine almost never leaving. Justin would go out for food and drugs, but that was about it. An anonymous tip by a man that uh, had met Christine in rehab sent police their distinct, uh, I'm sorry, sent police to their disgusting motel room on July 19th, 2006, three years and one day after the murders. The hotel room smelled awful. There was blood on the walls from heroin and cocaine use. There were dog feces on the floor. Ew. It almost looked like a murder scene inside this hotel room, said a detective. There's blood on the wall, hundreds of needles, used needles on the ground, boxes of brand new needles ready to go, and then, like, literally about 80, 85 needles lined up on a dresser with heroin inside them. Oh, my gosh. It reeked, he said. I bet it did. Yuck. And I do have pictures of that. It's so disgusting. Christine is immediately arrested and Justin's arrested for the drugs. Justin Rott crumbled police, police, Justin Rott crumbled beneath police interrogation and he informed police about his wife's confession. On July 21st, 2006, Christine Paolilla and Christopher Snyder, who had not yet been apprehended, were charged with capital murder. As for Chris, after learning the police were hot on his trail, he committed suicide. Wow. His dead body was found in the woods in Greenville, South Carolina, just a few acres from where he lived with his girlfriend he had met online. He had overdosed on prescription drugs. So here we have one assailant. assailant. Am I saying that correctly? Assailant. 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 Yes. My God. Well, okay. So here we have one assailant dead <laughs> and the other one is a heroin addict. I was just looking at it and I see the eye and I'm like, assailant. Assailant. When police question Christine, she is quick to blame Chris for the murders. During a videotaped interrogation, Christine told police that Chris Snyder had a gun and forced her to take a second gun but that she never willfully fired it. Instead, she said, Chris Snyder put his hand on hers and caused her to fire the gun. She said that Chris was the one who beat the severely wounded Rachel to death. According to Christine, Chris threatened to do the same thing to her and her family if she told anyone. He dropped her off at her job at a local Walgreens less than 30 minutes after the murders, and she got to work instead of calling police. She explained how she had blood splatter on her clothing, but it wasn't noticeable because she was wearing all black. She also said once she got to work, she scrubbed dried blood from under her fingernails in her workplace bathroom. Ew. Isn't that disgusting? Working with the blood on you. Ugh. That's disgusting. Ugh. Christine's husband, Justin Rott, however, told police a different story. 
He said that Christine admitted to going to the house to participate in a drug heist. And when Chris Snyder started shooting, she didn't hesitate to join in. Justin said Christine told him that it was her, not Snyder, who who beat Rachel to death with the gun. In September 2008, Christine Paolilla was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Because she was a minor at the time of the crime, she was ineligible for the death penalty. Wow. Christine is serving her time at Women's Penitentiary in Gatesville, Texas, and she will be eligible for parole in 2046. (laughs) Why are you laughing? This is forever from now. Not really. It's like 25 years. years. Yeah, that's forever. I mean, I guess. I feel like like she should be in there for life. How long I've been alive. Yeah, I, I, I feel like she should be in there forever. And yeah, no, she I brutally agree. murdered those sweet, sweet girls and yeah. just innocent people that did nothing but love her. Well, I mean, hopefully they'll deny her parole. I'm here, sure so. they probably will. I mean, so what? She's been in there since 2006. So we're talking how many years? 15 years? Yeah, 15. So it probably started about 40 if she was granted parole. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be an old lady. Gosh, dude. <sighs> I'm scared to make friends now. Isn't it? I mean, it's like biting the hand that feeds you. Right. It's exactly what she did. Like. And I and I think just to be so okay with doing that to those girls, it had to be all along, all you know, all along that she was extremely envious. Yeah, just like constantly filled with rage because. Yeah. She was jealous. Yeah. Of you know who they were in their lives and mm-hmm. whatnot. That that's a scary thing to me too because uh-huh. you have somebody that you think is your best friend and that loves you and just like you love them and really, you know, internally what they think about like that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? like and they probably never knew. No, no, I'm sure they didn't. Like I said, Rachel carried a picture of Christine in her wallet. You know, that's so sad. It's so sad, dude. I have pictures of some of my friends in my wallet. <laughs> That's really sad. Yeah. If you, it's just kind of like, I get that she was very self-conscious because mm-hmm. I can't imagine losing my hair, mm-hmm. you know, at such a young age. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I mean, that really does, you know. Beat your self-confidence. Yeah. But you don't need to hate people because they have what you wish that you did have. And if anything, you have these two beautiful, popular girls that have hearts of gold that do all these wonderful things for you and you kill them. Right. Why? Like, and like if being their friend was evil. too evil. much, yeah. then just don't be their friends. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. don't go to the extreme of killing them. It's heartbreaking. It is so sad. I feel bad for those girls and their families. Yeah. And, and their and boyfriends. The yeah. yeah. Or the boyfriend and the cousin. Completely non deserving and just unexpected. Yeah, that, that came out of nowhere. Ambush. Yeah, literally came out of nowhere. Nobody had, you know, a chance to protect themselves and poor Rachel after, you know, just so much trauma and still being alive. Yeah. You know? Mm. Gosh, dude. And like bashing her head in, just how do you do that? How do you do that? Like I could much, I could see shooting someone being much easier than bashing them in the head with the butt of a pistol. I don't know. Like head stuff really bothers me. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I I feel like shooting would be a lot easier than like that's very aggressive. Yeah. No, that's I, a lot of hatred. I knew what you were saying. I was just adding yeah. on saying head stuff really bothers yeah. me. Like yeah. crushing skulls or like someone you love, somebody that loved you. Yeah, you like know? when you know like when you see like when you see but like in movies or whatever when you see heads kind of bust open like a watermelon oh no 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 yeah that just that's like your whole being right there yeah it really is someone is smashing it in oh my god the terror i hate it Mm -hmm. i'm glad that one's over with i actually always forget about that one even though it is so brutal and so terrible you recognized it when i started talking about alopecia yeah Yeah. i don't know why that happened but yeah, that's when I realized. Well, that's what everybody knows her as, I think, you know. 
goodness gracious i guess that's it you guys you want to shout our social media real cool shout out our social media (laughs) um you guys if you want to follow or join our facebook i always say that every time if you want to follow our facebook join our facebook group you can do so at for god's sake don't drink the jones juice um we've had a good bit of people um join recently so thank you guys welcome 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 oh side note side note because you may not remember to say this so we have four uh listener juices uh, stories sitting in our inbox right now we need at least two to four more to do a listener juice this month so send in your paranormal true crime whatever you got stories because we want to do a listener juice it's that time again it's and thank you to everyone who has sent one in Yes, they all. I I didn't read any of them because we don't, but they all seem pretty long. So really, I didn't even look at. And a I don't even one. care if they're long. If it's three sentences, send it in. <laughs> I mean, if it's a, I, I guess if it's a cool three sentences. I saw a ghost. It made me scared. The end. I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> don't send that in, actually. Um, okay, and if you want to follow our instagram you can do so at don't drink the jones juice you can follow our tiktok that we jesus sorry Burke is over there just beating around her oh, microphone sorry. and throwing cans away and i thought there was a bag shit. in there dumped <laughs> <laughs> an aluminum can in a trash can with no bag in it <laughs> it was even more loud like in the headphones than jesus it would have been Christ. in real life so hopefully it I'm sorry, sorry I probably scared the shit out of somebody <laughs> just now. Driving and they just hear <laughs> them. <laughs> um, our TikTok that we never post on, you can follow that at Don't Drink the Jones Juice. Um, we want to start adding on to that, so maybe you'll get some surprise stuff. I don't know. Um, buy our merch. Buy our merch. Buy our merch at storefrontiercom Don't Drink the Jones Juice. And I know Brooke still has. Uh, the Ouija board um, short sleeve shirts at Cupid Sleeve that you can purchase. I do, I do. I think I've got 11 left. So go on down to Cupid Sleeve and get that or go to our like, store frontier. I feel like we always end this with like something country as hell. Um, go on down there. <laughs> That's because we're from the South. <laughs> and the more you talk, the more Southern you sound. That is true right there. You're not lying. I think that's all of our socials, though. We're annoying as hell. <laughs> I know. Why did we start a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Well, uh... <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Only that makes us end it like this. For God's sake. Don't drink the Jones juice. <laughs>